hybrid working and controls. What should boards think about? During the pandemic, we all got used to working virtually. The business of Zoom has exploded and it is such a common feature in our lives that it has become a verb. We are all Zooming. As restrictions are eased, the discussion is heating up about what the new normal looks like. Some organizations order their employees back into the office, while others announce that their employees are free to work from anywhere. The future of work has arrived. What do boards need to think about? What does it mean for the controls of the business? Welcome to the Better Boards podcast series. In this episode, I'm delighted to talk with John Mongolard about hybrid working and controls. What should boards think about? I'm Dr. Sabine Demkowski, founder and managing partner of Better Boards. Our mission at Better Boards is to contribute to creating better boards. We make the boards of the most ambitious organizations more effective. We do this by providing clients with an evidence-based approach for board evaluations and board development programs. To fulfill our mission, we give a voice to all who care about creating better boards. John, fantastic to have you. Thank you so much for contributing to the Better Boards podcast series. Thank you for having me. We're talking about a really hot topic at the moment. Everyone is using Zoom and there are new ways of working. But it appears to be really confusing and quite a bit of a mess. I mean, firms in the same industry make very different announcements. You're right, right. It's not been consistent at all. Um, and as you say, different firms approaching it slightly differently to the, that exam question. I'll give some examples of it, if I may. Goldman Sachs, uh, the golden boys of the financial service industry, they said working at home is an aberration. Their culture, their way of working is about collaboration, innovation and entrepreneurship. So they see this way of working as a bit of an aberration and they will get, get back to offices straight away. JP Morgan, another large bank, they have the same view and they're, they're ordering their staff back to work as soon as possible, effectively. But not all banks, American banks, are responding in that way. Citibank and other large banks are opting for a hybrid model. So some of their staff will go back to office and some will have the flexibility to continue to work from home. So it's not a consistent model across all American banks. UBS, they too are also doing a hybrid model. But the other end of the spectrum, there's some firms, and it's one of our large member firms, Deloitte's, who've announced the option for all of their staff, their 20,000 UK staff, to work from home permanently. So yeah, very different approaches from different firms in professional services and financial services. What shall we make of all of this? What does this really mean for businesses? Well, there's a number of issues it raises. First, there's an important issue about control. What does that mean for control and the control environment when people are at home? So if you're at home, you might obviously share your home with your spouse. But what if your spouse is a lawyer at the other side of a corporate finance deal? You're dealing on one side of the deal, Tesco, say, buying Sainsbury's, and your wife is on the Sainsbury side. What does that mean for conflicts and information controls that should be there? But that's just a husband and wife, let's say. What about if you're just a young graduate and you flat share with some other bankers? But there are different banks. So obviously some risk there. Another example then as well, what if you, you suddenly need to print something off? Now, we easily print stuff off in the office, but my work laptop doesn't, for whatever reasons, connect to my home computer. So do I, as a one-off, send the document to my home email account so I can print it off for that one important meeting? What does that mean in terms, again, the information and data protection for that document? 
I, as I say, work in financial services. So a lot of them do something called proprietary trading. Uh, they trade on their own account. Now, when you're trading uh, stocks and shares and all these important things, then we don't want these traders to be doing bad things. So what many trading floors require is that you do not bring your mobile phone onto a trading floor. So you can't talk to other people, make side deals. Well, again, if people are at home, how can you enforce such a control? It's just not going to be possible to enforce those physical controls. It's interesting that you stress the point about control so much, because what we see in the media is a lot about mental health, well-being of staff, general talk about ways of working. But I think the control and what it means for the risk environment doesn't appear to be fully sought out at this stage. Yes, a very good point you make, Jespine. But I would say there is an overlap between well-being and controls. And I'll come back to that if I may in a short while. But pull me up on that if I do not. Yeah, as you say, everyone's worried in this post-COVID, and say post-COVID environment. And they think about their cash flows and they don't want any surprises. And so what ICAW is trying to do through this research is help them and make sure there are no surprises and there are the controls and there is risk reduction. So trying to help firms with their hygiene, their internal hygiene, so they're not exposed to risks. Those things I just mentioned, using your home print or your mobile phone, they may seem like small things in and of themselves. But if you were to do them in an office environment, they would all be gross misconduct and you'd be fired for them individually. So they are important issues. Also, they may be markers. They may be indicators that there may be deeper issues or people doing things that you don't want them to do that do not fit with your firm's standards, your firm's policies, or your firm's culture. So things where we don't want them and there should be controls around them. Tell us a bit more about the research, if you can. Where are you at the moment? So what we're doing is two, three-part study, and we're doing a literature review, then some interviews, and then trying to do some benchmarking. In terms of that literature review, it's pulling out a number of key factors important that we think will be key issues in this hybrid working from home environment. And I'll pull out four things that are different there. So the big four, supervision. Now we're all used to perhaps in the office, we're sitting next to our line manager and he or her is watching us and making sure we're doing our jobs. Obviously that doesn't work when you're working at home, but that's if we say the hard end of supervision. I sometimes also sit next to my colleagues and just bounce ideas off them. Oh, what do you think about this? This chap's come in with a large briefcase full of money, should I help him open a bank account very quickly or not? So that kind of soft supervision is also important and absent in the work Mm -hmm. from home environment. So that's one of four issues that changes as a control factor at work from home. Mm -hmm. Excellent Uh, point. Tell us about the second one. Yeah, you mentioned well-being earlier. And yeah, as you say, everyone's mindful of this, how they treat each other, and also how staff are responding to working at home. And I know I, for one, I may have lost hours in terms of a commute, but they've been filled up with more working hours. So the working day is extended for me and I'm sure for many others as well. But what we find is that when people are tired, when they're exhausted, when they're depleted, that's when they might make poor ethical decisions. So if if you catch me walking around at 10 p.m., 11 p.m., that's when I'm going to break my diet. When I'm exhausted, I think, what the hell? Why don't I just have this little snack? As much as firms want to make sure their staff are retained, the talent is kept with them, they also want to keep an eye out for this well-being because it does play into when people are exhausted, they make worse ethical decisions. That's two of my four. The other two then are reminders and rationalisation. So reminders, when we're in our workplaces, we often see 
posters on our wall saying, uh, please do not launder money. Mm. And as silly as they sound, those things are actually quite effective from a behavioural perspective. Now, in my home, I don't have those posters saying, do not money launder. (laughs) And I've got more posters about homeschooling. But there is a, a control or mitigant that is absent, perhaps, in many home environments. And then finally, I come to rationalisation. And what that comes back to is that I don't know what you think, Sabine, about people. Are they they're good or evil people? I, I'm less of that camp. I think there are some people and sometimes they make good or bad decisions and do good or bad things. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what can happen is that when people find themselves concerned about the bank or cash flow, and many banks now are looking at their profitability very hard, it can be easy for people to make slightly unusual decisions. They think they're trying to help the bank and bend a few rules or it's only a grey area. Or if it's really serious, you know, compliance or internal will pick them up. But they make some unusual decisions due to the unprecedented circumstances we find ourselves in. But I'm not sure that would justify bending the rules. So it's an easy thing to happen, as I say, in this COVID environment. And when is when people are working from home, you can easily rationalise making these exceptional decisions these exceptional circumstances. I really, really like these four headings. It's a good reminder, it's a good probe for our listeners to think about these four categories. Can you repeat them again, John? Yes. Supervision, how much oversight there is by line managers. Okay. And then reminders. So a sustained effort to remind people of your good policies and what is expected of the firm. Then well-being. That's important because when people are tired, they can make poor decisions. So let's help them not get exhausted. Some firms have got no screen Fridays. That's a good thing. I think it'll help with controls as much as well-being and staff retention. Then I talked about rationalisation. The unprecedented circumstances may mean people can easily rationalise some grey or some bending of the rules. And it's not something we want to see. Fantastic that you've done this work. And I understand you're only halfway through yet. So our listeners get real get the information in real time. What are actually your real concerns? So as you say, I'm only halfway through the interview stage, but let me talk about some examples, some things in my hypothesis at this stage. So my worry is there's a very siloed approach and people are sleepwalking into a very high-risk environment. So I'm making two very bold statements there. Let me try and unpack those. Firstly, then, the the siloed approach. Again, I'm going to use examples from the banking world. Traders, they earn lots of money, but they take lots of risk and they do lots of important things. So the danger is that we may say, oh, let's look at our traders in our bank. And they're very important. So let's get them in the office very quickly. They'll be the first ones in. And then our risk and compliance teams, well, they need to check what our traders are doing. So let's get them in the office for their two or three days that they work in the office. But then what about internal audit? Are they the third line of fence? Are they left sat at home? So will we see people make that decision on a tactical level for different trading desks? So our equities trading team will make that decision. But will all our other trading teams make the same decision? And then what does that mean as a summation for our control environment if each desk and each department makes the same view about who should be in the office and who should not, and therefore how robust the controls are? It's we really framed now the issues. What are now the implications for boards? Given the role of boards, what exactly should they really do in the current situation? So let me think about that. So what would I do if I was on a board today? Well, then I think the board, maybe it's the board risk committee or the audit committee, 
but it's whoever owns the assurance map needs to understand that decisions that are being made by management teams and look at that holistically. What does that mean for the whole organization and its risk profile? So many have accepted you know, a higher operational risk profile because of COVID, but is it still fair to view their controls as just being best efforts or still in disaster recovery mode? So boards need to think about what's their individual COVID work from home experience. Have they seen their breaches go up? Have frauds gone up? And what does their staff survey tell them about well-being? We talked earlier about well-being have a strong link to controls and incidents of fraud. What is that telling them about their risk environment? Banks and firms all need to understand their risk profile and how well the controls are coping. So it'd be useful if firms can each benchmark their organisation to understand where they are in terms of their risk profile and how their mitigants are coping and keeping the risk at bay. So each firm will have different tactical decisions being made by management. But what does that mean for the assurance map? So we talked about the four risks earlier, the big four. So we need to understand from management what they're doing in terms of staff well-being, in terms of supervision, in terms of rationalisation and reminders to help their staff make better decisions. Those are the things that boards should be asking about their relevant committees and asking management about what they're putting in place. Very helpful, John. In our prep, you also talked about induction programmes. Do you want to say anything about uh, induction programmes? Yes, it's a very good point. So I've talked a bit about controls and something financial services sector refer to as the three lines of defence. Uh, your first line of defence is the business, second line is your risk or compliance function, and the third line of defence is internal audit. Now, that's a very boring, sterile way of looking at a firm. And what I think is more important is a firm's culture. So this is what people do when no one's looking. How do people respond? What are their real behaviours? What do they see as being role modelled by their managers and their manager's manager? So the culture is very important. But how does that work with induction? If I'm working at a company now, I'm sitting at home, and then I change company tomorrow, well, I'm still sitting at the same desk, same computers in front of me, and the same school posters around me. So that's not going to change. So how do firms embed their culture mm. with new staff, but also with their staff who've been away from their offices? What is it, 15, 18 months now? I mean, just our last podcast with Micah here was exactly about culture. It all starts at the top. Now, some of our listeners might think, well, all well and good, but uh, in every podcast we hear something, what else we should do? Our plate is already full. Help, help. Well, we all know that the board agendas already are full. So what would you say are the two to three most crucial issues that boards need to address now? Yeah, I think that's a very important point. Board agendas are very crowded, but I think at the same time, no one wants any surprises, do they? They don't want their cash flow or their reputation or profits being hit at this time. It's just too critical at this stage. So what do they need to do? Well, they need to understand the control environment, how good or bad is it? So you need to look at your data, your metrics to see what, what is happening to your teams and what is keeping your staff awake at night. Secondly, I'd say they also wanted to talk to management about what they're doing to address, as we call it, the big four, the supervision, the well-being, the rationalisation reminders, because otherwise, as I say, that they risk losses in various different forms. And then finally, if I can invite them all to then perhaps contact me, john.mongolard.icaw.com, and they can perhaps help participate in this research so they can then benchmark themselves against others in the industry, but also contribute to research and understand what good looks like in this 
work from home hybrid environment? So what are the three things our listeners should take away from this podcast? So first thing I think they should do is accept their control environment has moved. Sorry, Dorothy, you're not in Kansas anymore. People are working from home. Some are in the office and that leads to a very different fact pattern they'll see from their staff. So the second thing they need to do is look at then at that risk profile. What does their data, their metrics, their staff tell them about what is going on and what is keeping them awake at night? And then finally, they perhaps need to take the steps we talked about to address those big four, to look at supervision, look at the well-being of the staff, look at the reminders and rationalisation and how that can be mitigated to support better outcomes and better controls at a very difficult time. Fantastic. Thank you so, so much for contributing to the Better Boards podcast series, John. Thank you, Sabine. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. How can we help you and your board? We at Better Boards are always delighted to hear from you. You can best reach us at info at better-boards.com. Thank you for listening.